Hey there, online family. Thanks so much for tuning into the Refuge Official Podcast today. We believe that the message you're about to hear is a powerful one. We believe that the Lord is ready and willing to do a great work. And we believe that through this message, you'll hear from Him today. So please enjoy. And so when we look at the return of the Lord and we're looking at um, what is going on in our society, um, it can cause a lot of fear and alarm in us, right? We see our culture shifting to something that, that is very concerning. We have seen rioting in our streets. We have seen military conflicts overseas. We're seeing a, a communistic Marxist way of thinking in our society that's sweeping across the, the world. We're seeing um, natural disasters like we haven't seen before. In fact, just alone in our country in 2021, the United States had 20 extreme weather and climate disasters that caused damages in, in the excess of $1 billion. Um, and over and 688 people were, were killed this last year. These include um, a drought, two floods, 11 severe storms, four tropical cyclones, a wildfire, and a winter storm. And that was just here in the United States. And then we're also seeing a, a, a mass amount of people leaving Christianity and becoming atheists. I heard on the news the other day that in 1972, 50 years ago, that only 5% of the American population considered themselves atheists. As of 2022, that number has gone up to 29%. That is one-third of our population that considers themselves atheists and does not believe in God. That is a staggering number. So we're seeing people leave the faith. And so Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 14. And the setting of this was on the Tuesday um, just before his crucifixion on Friday. So it's four days before, before his um, crucifixion. And the disciples ask him, when will these things happen? In other words, when will the temple be destroyed? What is the sign of your coming? What, are the, what is the sign of the end of the age? And in verse 3, he answers this question, and he says, And he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. In other words, don't panic. Don't get into fear. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9, he says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness, 
will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And so he lists these signs. And so these signs are the signs of the end times, the last days. And so um, Paul also talks about these end time signs. And in 2 Timothy 3, 1, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will be, come times of difficulty. So in the last days it should not surprise us or catch us off guard if we go through times of difficulty. And in fact, Paul was so emphatic here, in other translations really um, um, uh, point this out even more clear than what the ESV shows. The NIV translates it this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. In other words, mark this down, take it to the bank, you can count on it, there will be difficult times. Um, the Contemporary English Bible says you can be certain that the last days there will be some very hard times. And so, however, Jesus said back in Matthew 24, 6, see that you are not alarmed. God knows the end from the beginning. He said don't get into fear. And so in these messages that we have done this month, we have taken three points. We've talked about um, the problem, we've talked about the promise, and then we've talked about the process, okay? So the problem that I see in the church today, in the last days, is not the signs of the times. The major problem that we have is an epidemic of fear, Fear. We're looking at the signs of the times and it's shaking the church. It may be shaking you. 2020 and 2021 were some hard years for a lot of us. They were difficult times. Some of us lost jobs. Some of us, some of us lost family members. But Jesus said, don't be alarmed. Don't fear. We have an epidemic of fear. We have an epidemic in the natural of COVID where close to 900,000 Americans have lost their lives, all over 5.5 million worldwide. And we are not to fear. Fear is a greater enemy to the church than COVID. Fear is a, is greater, is a greater enemy than the Antichrist. He's a greater enemy than even Satan himself. Why? Because Jesus defeated Satan in the death, burial, and resurrection. But if we get into fear, it will paralyze you. It will immobilize you from fulfilling God's plan for your life. And his plan is, is more than what you can imagine or even think. So Jesus said, see that you are not alarmed. The, the New Living Translation says, but don't panic. The New King James Version says, see that you are not troubled. The New American Standard says, see that you're not frightened. Um, Smith's literal translation says, be not terrified. That's a command. Jesus has not given you a suggestion. He's commanding you not to fear. So if you're in fear of what's going on, 
You need to repent. It's wrong. It's sin. Because if you're in fear, you're not in faith. And if you're not in faith, what's ever not of faith is sin, the, the Bible says. Now that word, see that, in that, in that sentence, see that you're not alarmed, means to take heed or to beware, be on guard. We are to be on guard against fear. Don't let fear enter your life. You have to be on guard against it. And Jesus said, these things must take place. One translation says these things are necessary. So nothing in this world takes God by surprise. Nothing. He knows the end from the beginning. We have the final, we have the final story. We know how it ends. We can read the back of the book. Jesus rules and reigns and everything is put into subjection to, to, to him. We win. Folks, we win, right? So when I was at, at Lowe's, uh, you know, seven years ago or so, I, oftentimes I would have to work on Sundays. And so um, Sunday afternoons, they allowed my schedule to work Sunday afternoons so where I could be here in, in church. But oftentimes I would miss the miss pack, Packer games. And if you know me, I am a Packer fan, all right? And so I would record the games and I would watch them later that evening when I got home. But if you work in a public place, people are talking about it. They have it on on the, on the radio. So I knew what all happened. I knew who won the game. But then I would go home and watch the game for myself. And even though that I knew that they screwed up, they might have had a field goal blocked and a punt blocked, Boy, that was a nightmare yesterday. But anyways, this kind of messes up my example. But at that time, I, I knew that they, would, that, that, that they won, but when those things happened, it didn't concern me. It didn't bother me whatsoever because I knew the end from the beginning. Right? So when it seems like things in this world are going wrong, where it seems like our government's dropping the ball, and fumbling the ball, or it seems like there's a setback in the church. It should not alarm us. We know the end from the beginning, and the end is we win. Jesus is coming back. We will see him. And he's bringing all rule, all authority into subjection to himself. And death will be put under. We win. And so a lot of times when we're looking at end time events, we just don't know things. And if we don't know things, we don't have faith. And fear enters into the situation. And so you need to understand, though, that Jesus called these things birth pains. Okay? Or like they're like contractions. And these signs of the times has, have always been with us. Okay? And in fact, um, from the point of Jesus dying on the cross to the point of the destruction of the temple by um, the, the Roman general Titus in A.D. 70, that's 39 years. All those signs actually happened. They had, they had two famines and multiple earthquakes and false prophets in Christ that ran through. 
Okay, So these signs of the times have always been in the last days. And the last days actually started on the day of Pentecost. Because in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, after the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early church, the apostle Peter said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, my spirit shall be poured out upon all flesh. So right there is when the last day started. And all these signs that we're seeing have been part of this whole entire age. However, Jesus likens them to birth pains or contractions. And so if you're a lady, um, a woman, or a mother, you've had birth, you know the closer you come to the day of that birth, the more intense and frequent those contractions become. So then what Jesus is saying is the closer that we come to his return, the more frequent and intense these contractions are going to happen. And he said, don't be alarmed by them. Okay? Now, Luke chapter 21, verse 25 through 28, it says, And there will be signs in the suns and moon." And stars, and on earth the stress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding what is coming on the world. The powers of the heavens will be shaken, and they will see um, the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Straighten up. Have you ever had your parents say, straighten up, boy? I have. (laughs) All right? That's what he's telling us. Straighten up. Raise up your heads. See, when you're in fear, your head's down. When you're in fear, you're worried. He said to straighten up. Raise up your heads. When you see these things happen, straighten up. Raise up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. It's coming. I'm coming. So, Now, when we look at the return of Jesus, I mean, there's different views, okay? And I'm not here today to get into all these different views, whether it's a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or any other type of trib you can think of. I'm not here to get into that. Because the bottom line, no matter what your view is on the coming of the Lord, if it is not causing you to live a consecrated life and to do the work that God has called you to do, then you're studying it incorrectly. If your view of the end times causes you to get into fear, you're studying it incorrectly. If your view of the end times exalts the Antichrist above the Christ, then you're studying it incorrectly. I have seen extremes on both both perspectives. One extreme is cutting themselves off from society, going in the mountains, stockpiling food and, and weapons. I've seen the other view is where it's an escape mentality, where they don't care about what's going on in the world around them. They don't care about ministering to others. They don't, they don't care about the signs of the times because they think Jesus is coming back at any moment and we're all going to escape. Both views are wrong. Jesus said that he is coming again. In Acts 1, verse 6 through 12, says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. See, we're not to to get into a debate about the timing of when he comes. He tells us right here. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that, that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. See, that is our focus right there. Our focus is not on the end times. Our focus is not on the timing. Our focus is on reaching the lost and flowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, let's continue. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things and they were looking on, he was, um, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way. So when he comes, he is is in a physical appearing. He is coming in his resurrected body. In the same way that he went into heaven, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So notice that that they that he left from the Mount of Olives. Did you know he is coming back to the Mount of Olives when he, when he returns? In Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 4, I don't have a slide for it, but it talks about that when Jesus returns, it says, and he shall stand on the Mount of Olives. It is a physical return to this earth. And so... 2 Peter 3, 1 through 4, and I do have a lot of scripture verses here, but we'll just kind of go through these. Um, Verse 1, 2 Peter 3, 1, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by a way of reminder. See, when we talk about these things, we need to be stirred up. Jesus is coming back. And you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his return? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Have you ever thought that? Where is the promise of his coming? Where is he? Doesn't Jesus know what's going on? He knows what's going on, and he has it all under control. Did you know Jesus came the first time? How many believe that Jesus came the first time? That he went to the cross for our sin and shame and paid the penalty for our debt? Did you know that there's multiple verses in the Old Testament that prophesy his first coming? Did you also know, when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are five times more scripture verses that talk about the promise of his return than, it, than there are talking about his first coming. Five times more. A physical return. 
If we can have faith that he came the first time, we can have faith and confidence he's coming again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 talks about this coming. And we'll just read this here. We're going to move through this a little bit quickly, but it'll be good. I do have some terms here that I want to discuss with you. See, when Paul wrote this, he wrote this in the Greek language, okay? That was the language of the day. And so we're going to have a slide up on the screen that will kind of go through these terms a little bit that will help you. I believe that if we point these terms out, it will unpack this section of Scripture than if we were just to read it from our English trans- translation, okay? Um, so we'll, let's, let's go through this. But we do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, he doesn't want us to be ignorant about these things. He wants us to know. Brothers, about those who are asleep, and that word asleep there um, refers to those who have died, Okay? Those who were Christians that have, that have passed away, either a natural death or by martyrdom. That you do not grieve as others who do not, who have no hope. See, we may have lost loved ones the past couple years. But the Bible says we're, we're not to grieve like those who don't have hope. They're still, we still grieve. We still miss them. We still go through those emotions. But we have a hope. We have an expectation that not only will we see Jesus, but we will see our loved ones. And we don't have to grieve like the world grieves that they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what happens after death. The Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we have a future and a hope and an expectation that we will see our loved ones again. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So when Jesus comes back, he's bringing back the, the, the inward person, the spirit and soul, the spirit of that individual will come back with him. And they will be reunited in their bodies. And so let's, let's read that. For this um, we declare, verse 15, to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive and still remaining, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep or who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. We will always be in in his presence. And so that's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, O death, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Jesus brings death into subjection to himself and conquers it in its final form. So going back to this text in 1 Thessalonians, He says, 
we who are left unto the coming of the Lord. And that word coming there is very important. And we'll, we'll have a slide up there. That word coming there is the Greek word parousia. Okay? And it literally means to be present, arrival to enter in a situation. It means a coming, especially an arrival of an owner who alone can deal with the situation. When Jesus returns, he's coming and he's going to deal with the situations that are happening on this earth. It is also a technical term with reference to a visit of a king or some other official. It is a royal, a, a, a royal visit. Okay, So when Jesus spoke of his coming, when all the apostles spoke of this coming, they all used this same term, parousia. And then we see this word trumpet. And this, is a, this, this word trumpet there is a trumpet of assembly and a call to war. And I believe in this context it applies to both. Okay, Because we see the cry of command and the cry of an archangel. That is a call to assembly and a call to war where God, where Jesus conquers all the forces of the enemy and brings everything into subjection to himself. And then we come to that word caught up. And that word caught up is the word harpazo. And it means to grab or snatch up. Okay? And so in um, the 4th century, St. Jerome was commissioned by the Pope to write the Latin Vulgate. And St. Jerome translated this Greek word harpazo into Latin. And the, and the Latin word for harpazo is the word, word raptos. And that's where we get the word rapture from. Okay? But it simply means to be caught up. However, when Paul uses this term... He's not, he's only using it to, um, dis to describe a, a particular um, characteristic of the event, but he's not calling it the event in and of itself. He calls it the parousia, the coming, okay? And then that word meet there, apotesis, I have a hard time pronouncing that, but that's a technical term. So that word there means just as the word parousia means the coming of the king or the appearing of the king, the, the word meet there means the reception of the king. So in Greek culture, when the Greeks used this word, what it meant was when a king or a conqueror would come to the city, the people in the city would go out to meet the king, and then the people in triumphal procession would escort the king back into the city. That is exactly the word that, that he uses there. Okay, So it is a physical return to this earth. Jesus is coming again. And so we see another picture of his coming in Revelation chapter 19, where he splits the eastern sky, rides upon the white horse, crowned with many crowns. He's crowned with many crowns because he rules over all nations. He has absolute, complete authority and power. And his eyes are as a fire that shows that he knows everything. And he brings everything into subjection to, to him. And we see um, the nations of the world gathered together um, 
in Jerusalem to war against him. But he conquers them. A sword goes out of his mouth, and that is, that is a symbolic that, that he conquers all of them. And that worldwide ruler that is known as the Antichrist and his false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. And then it talks about Satan being bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. Jesus rules for 1,000 years um, on this earth and we rule and reign with him. After that 1,000 years is over in Revelation chapter 21, I'm giving you a real quick timeline here. Um, after that after that happens, Satan is allowed um, to be released for a time, and he de- deceives the nations once more, gathers the nations of this world to battle against Jerusalem, against Israel, and f- it says that fire comes out of heaven and consumes them all. And then the Antichrist and the false prophet, they are taken and, th- uh, I'm sorry, and then Satan then at that time is taken and thrown into the lake of fire where the, the Antichrist and the false prophet was. And then we see judgment happen and the great white throne judgment. And we see um, the judgment seat of Christ. And we don't have time to go through those um, particular verses. Um, but if you're interested, I do have copies of my outline out at the Welcome Center. You are more than welcome to have that. That's got that all in there. But the bottom line is Jesus is coming again. And he's bringing all rule, all authority into subjection to himself. So we have the problem, the problem of fear. But when we understand the end from the beginning and what Jesus has done and what he said he will do, it will repel fear from our life. We have the promise that he will return. But now let's look at the process. And a process is a systematic series of action. So in other words, what what is our part? We know Jesus is coming back, so what about us? How is him coming back affecting how we're living today? How is knowing that Jesus has returned, how is that affecting your life now? And so... Jesus said in Matthew 24, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So that tells me the ones who endure and the ones who are saved are those who have a red, hot, passionate love for Christ. Where is your love and your passion for Christ? Jesus, um, he confronted the church at Ephesus and he said, you have lost your first love. Do the works that you did that you did at the beginning. We have to have a red hot passionate love for Christ. And so if your view of the end times doesn't lead you into that passionate pursuit of who Jesus is, then again, you're looking at it wrong. Because it's about Jesus. It's not about the devil. It's not about the tribulation. It's not about the Antichrist. It's not about the signs of the times. It's about Jesus. He has to be your focus. The Bible talks about 
that we are to be clothed with armor. Paul talks about the armor of God in connection with the end times. We have to be clothed with armor. We have to take up the full armor of God. And so when Paul wrote that in Ephesians 6, he said, take up the whole armor of God. And so evidently then, if he told them to take it up, then the church at Ephesus must have dropped it. So it's possible to lay aside the armor. We have to take it up. We have to be clothed with the armor of God. And Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And so part of that armor then is casting off the works of darkness and putting on the armor of light. He said that in Romans 13, 12. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. See, we have to walk in the light. We have to carry this message of the gospel to the lost and hurting and dying world and not live into, into fear. Because if you're in fear, how can you tell others to have faith in Christ? Because faith and fear don't mix. We will see Jesus again. We will see him face to face. We will look into his eyes. Jesus said in his prayer before he went to the cross, in his high priestly prayer, in John chapter 17, he said, um, speaking to his, or praying to the Father, he said in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me and where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Jesus is coming again, and you will see his glory. And we talk about the wonders of heaven, of how great and spectacular heaven will be. But just think of how awesome it will be to look into Jesus' eyes and to see the flames of fire and to see that glory. And that glory will change us. And it says that we will have a body just like his, a glorified, resurrected body. So, let's going to read two more verses here. Second Peter 3.12. Well, actually, let's look at Second Peter 10-12. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 11, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. Think about that. Because we know Jesus is coming back, it should propel us then to live a life of holiness and godliness. The Apostle John says, him that has this hope, the hope of his return in him, purifies himself even as he is pure. It should cause us to live a holy life 
to be ready, to be prepared, and not to be ashamed of his coming. We don't want to be ashamed. We, we want Jesus to, to come back. I remember as a kid, if I screwed up or did something wrong, my mom would say, wait until your father comes home. I'm going to tell your father. It wasn't, it was, and it was always with Timothy John. Timothy John Kleiner, as soon as I heard that, I knew I was in trouble. Your father is going to be home. And I have a great relationship with, with my father, with my dad. And she didn't even use the word dad. She used father. You know, father. Do you think I wanted to go out and see him? I hid out in my room. But that's just like it is with when Jesus comes back. If we're not living a life of godliness, if we're not living a life of holiness, we'll be ashamed when he comes. We have to be ready. We have to be expecting him, looking for him, longing for his return. And then verse 12, 2 Peter 3, 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So notice that word waiting and hastening. So what does that word hastening mean? That word hastening in the, in the Greek word, the Greek word is the word speedo. That doesn't mean we're waiting for the Lord in speedos. God help us. You don't want to see this in a speedo, all right? What it literally means, though, to speed up or to quicken. We can actually speed up the return of the Lord. Did you know that? By the way we live our lives, we can speed up the return of the Lord. So Jesus said, this gospel shall be preached into all nations, all the world, and then the end will come. So how do we speed up the return of the Lord? We speed it up by living a holy, consecrated life, being clothed with the armor of God, being uh, passionate in love with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, and preaching the gospel and doing our job. And we can actually speed up his return. With every head bowed and every eye closed, You may be sitting here today and you don't know what it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And you see all these signs and these things happening around us and you're in fear and you're in turmoil. But Jesus wants to give you a future and a hope and expectation. And as I mentioned a few moments ago in a real brief statement about judgment, about the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about that those who died, those who are living, stand before the judgment of God. And it talks about the books being opened. And it mentions that, that those will be judged according to was, what was written in those books. And then it says, and then another book was opened. And that was the book of life. And anyone who was not found in that book of life was thrown into the lake of fire where Satan, the false prophet, 
and the Antichrist are. And it said they will be in torment day and night forever. See, God's judgment at that time is fixed. It's a fixed day. You can't change it. It's fair because he's a righteous judge. It's fixed, it's fair, and it's final. You can't change the outcome of it. And it's forever. It's for eternity. So if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you don't think your name's written in that book, there is only one way that you can be saved. And that is through Jesus. It's through saving faith in Christ alone, through his grace alone. And it is a free gift. Without it, we all stand under the judgment of God. For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve it. But Jesus came to set us free from it. So if that's you and you want to be free and you want to make sure that your name is enrolled in that book of life, I want you to raise your hand anywhere. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. You can put it down. The Bible also talks about a judgment seat of Christ, and that's for us believers, that we have to give an account for our life as Christians, what we do for God. What you do for God or you, what you don't do for God, well, one day you will have to give an account for it. So we have to live a consecrated life. So if that's you, you want to live a consecrated life to God, to live a life of holiness, to do the mission that he's called you to do, I want you to lift your hand. Everyone's hand should be lifted. We all just make this time a consecration to God. He is coming back. We are closer to his return than we have ever been. He is coming back. Let's just pray this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you right now. I ask that you forgive me of my sin. I ask that you forgive me of my, of my um, choosing wrong things above you and not putting you first in my life. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. To redeem me from my sin and shame. I believe that he rose again from the dead. And he's coming again. And I dedicate myself and consecrate myself to live each day for eternity. Let my life be driven by eternity. to be consecrated, dedicated for your service. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just stand to our feet. Let's just worship God. Jesus is our champion. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He defeated everything and is bringing everything into subjection to himself. And he is coming again. Lord Jesus, come. Thank you so much for tuning into the Refuge Official Podcast today. We hope that this message spoke to you in a very meaningful way and that you were able to connect with the Lord. And hey, if you made a decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today, we are first and foremost just so happy for you and we would love to get connected with you. So if you want to find some more of our content and find out how to get connected with us, feel free to check out our website at wearerefuge.net. Be blessed and have an amazing rest of your day.